a reading from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 11, verses 1 through 30. Now, the apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, the Jewish believers took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began to explain at length to them in an orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet lowered by four corners from the sky. And it came to where I was. And I started and I stared at it and was thinking about it. And I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild animals, the crawling creatures, and the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, by no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered me a second time. What God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. This happened to me three times. And everything was drawn back up into the sky. And behold... At that moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea came up to the house where we were staying. And the Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us he had seen the angel in his house and saying, Send some, man to Jop- send some men to Joppa and have Simon, who is called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and all your household. And as I, as I, and as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remember the word of the Lord. How he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he also gave to us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well, then, God has also granted to the Gentiles the repentance that leads to life. So then those who were scattered because of the persecution that occurred in connection with Stephen made their way to Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except to the Jews alone. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch and began speaking to the Greeks as well, preaching the good news of the Lord Jesus. 
and the hand of the Lord was with them, and a large number of them who believed turned to the Lord. The news about them reached the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas off to Antioch. Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And considerable numbers were added to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers of people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Now, at this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and indicated by the Spirit that there would be definitely there would definitely be a severe famine all over the world. And this took place in the region of Claudius. And to the extent that any of the disciples had means, each of them determined to send a contribution for the relief of the brothers and sisters living in Judea. And they did it, this, sending it with Barnabas and Saul to the elders. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Father, we come to you week by week, day by day, that you would stir us up by way of reminder of your grace. Teach us in your word, Lord. Let your words flow from this par- pulpit into our hearts through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So as we continue through Acts, uh, and we get to Acts chapter 11, I had the... Uh, the thought of we could Acts chapter 11 is just Acts chapter 10, just reiterated. He just says the same thing over, and we could just get up here. And the tendency to either, is either just say, let's skip that and let's cut to the good stuff, or I can just get up here and uh, we can just have a, a figurehead, a talking head that says the exact same thing as last week. And it would be profitable because we said it, if it was profitable last week, we could say it again, and then why not? And so uh, those were the two first thoughts, but then we'll get into what we're, we'll actually be studying. So um, as, as way of reminder, as we're going through the book of Acts, we want to continually be thinking, what is the major theme? Why do we have the book of Acts? Why is it placed where it is? How did the Christians receive it? How did the early Christians receive it? And as Acts is the only historic narrative, historical narrative of the apostles in the early church after Christ's resurrection. And the epistles and other New Testament books are written to communities of Christians um, to either for correction or, or encouragement or in the overarching theme of building Christian community. But the churches were already established. And so Acts 1.8 is kind of our theme verse where Christ, as he's, after he's resurrected, speaks with the apostles and the disciples for 40 days, appearing to them many times, and right before he ascends, he says, tells them to wait in Jerusalem, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And so one way we're going to look at this where it's, it's so shocking that to, to the Jews that they're like, Gentiles are Christians, and they don't need to become Jews first, is Jesus says that right here in this verse. He says that you're going to be my witnesses in all of these lands, and the assumption should be that all of the nations are going to stream to Christ through that, but in their heads, they are thinking that through the, the dispersion of Jews um, going all the way back to 500 years prior, where all the Jews were dispersed, we're just going out and getting the Jews. It even says in, um, I think it's Acts 6, 7, or 8, somewhere around there, where they were only preaching to Jews. They weren't even looking. It wasn't even in their way of thinking that Gentiles are going to be in the covenant. And so that's one of the reasons why this chapter is, is reiterated. And so, um, as a reminder, witnessing isn't always evangelizing. Witnessing isn't always going out to share the gospel. That's not the only way that they were, they were witnessing. Uh, we're witnesses here today. We're witnesses as Christ renews his covenant. We're witnesses when you, are in a, in a, uh, when you get married, the congregation, the people gathered, are witnesses. They're not evangelizing you to marriage. <laughs> They're just witnessing it. <laughs> they don't, they, you're at that point where you don't really need to be evangelized anymore to, to be united. And so every, every Sunday we reenact uh, the covenant. Uh, we have covenant reminders, and we are here witnesses of of Christ's covenant. We're not here to evangelize, mostly. We're here to be witnesses of what God has already done. And so as, as Acts chapter 11 opens, Peter makes his way, he's making his rounds through uh, Judea and Samaria, following after where maybe Philip went, and going to these little Christian communities, and he's, he's helping build these churches and Christian communities, and he makes his way back to Jerusalem, and he gives a report, and lo and behold, this the circumcision party who would be the very fundamental Jews who are very legalistic or have a legalistic bend to to, a very high view of the law and of organization and keeping the rules and being tidy were uh, rebuking Peter for just eating with the Jews or eating with non-Jews. And because that was a direct violation of, I think it's Leviticus 11, with the ceremonial laws. You couldn't meet and gather with a group of people for several days, several weeks, and eat with them and not have unclean food put in front of you. <laughs> unless, unless you were in their house and you just, uh, you, they had a place for you and you said, no thanks, I'm going to go over here and eat by myself because you guys are, are dirty Gentiles. <laughs> I'm not going to eat with you. I don't think, doesn't, obviously Peter didn't do that. And so he was breaking ceremonial law, and that's what the circumcision party was so upset about. And so they didn't understand the circumcision party ends up becoming the Judaizers who are going to chase around Paul and persecute him. Now, in Acts chapter 11, there is insight that says some of them kind of repented of that and, and saw that the Gentiles were coming into the fold of the covenant and they rejoiced. But the, the ideology, the theologies behind the circumcision party became the Judaizers, Judaizers who chased around Paul to try to destroy Christian communities because they weren't doing it right. Uh, uh, they did not get what Jesus said when, when, they, when John's disciples came and asked him about fasting. And they're like, why don't you guys fast? And he gives like a very uh, elusive answer. And he doesn't really say, well, we... We don't fast because I'm the Christ and we're here. And he gives a, a parable of that sort. But the most, 
the biggest thing he says is, you don't put old wine into new wineskins. You don't put new wine into old wineskins, or else they're going to burst. And you're like, oh, okay. Uh, I get that. What exactly does that mean? Um, the idea is he was looking for a new, in the new covenant, there was going to be a set of ideas that seemed new, the Gentiles coming into the, into the fold, which was not a new idea, but was new to them because they'd never thought about it. And so the Judaizers didn't really understand that. They didn't understand that there was new wineskins and new wine coming in. And so I um, often like how God puts this in Scripture and because it's, it really befuddles our way of thinking because you read Acts chapter 10 with Peter and Cornelius in the vision and he drops down, the, Peter gets this vision of this tent coming down or this, uh, this curtain coming down and it has all these lizards and he says it happened three times and he says, Lord, I'm not, I'd never ate anything unclean and he goes to Cornelius and he preaches the gospel and they get filled with the Holy Spirit and then you get two verses in Acts chapter 11 that Peter's back and he says the exact same thing again for 18 verses and our tendency or at least my tendency is to say, well, I already read this. Let's skip over it. Let's read through it really quick, and let's get to the good stuff. Where's the, uh, where's the miracles? Where's the, or whatever else we're looking for? And so at that point, that should be an indication to us is that we're, not, we're trying to import our, our, our feelings, our ideas, our way of reading Scripture into the Bible. When that happens, and it happens quite frequently all over Scripture, as if you had a yearly you know, reading plan and read through year after year or every 16 to 18 months, you would get a, it, it should be a little frustrating to you to read some passages and then like, this happened, and then this person tells this other person for the same amount of time what just happened. God, what are you doing? We just read this. Why are you telling me again? That's an indication that we need to slow down. This is a big idea. This, you, if you say it twice, if you tell your kids twice, or you have anybody under you in any form of way, and you tell them, and they, and they run off, and you're like, hold on. And I tell you again, just so you get it, right? It's something important. And so that's what we have here. Um, this is the, as, as John Gray said yesterday, this is the pinnacle in these Jewish communities that are now being called Christians, uh, they are finally realizing with Cornelius and, and what God did through baptizing them in the Spirit is the covenant isn't just for these already Jewish people. And we live 2,000 years down the road and we're all Gentiles, and so we don't really understand that. And we're like, yeah, we get it, we're Gentiles, we're in, good for us. And we, we don't understand the animosity and the, and the troubles that that caused uh, the early church. And so, um, why, didn't, why didn't Peter, why didn't Luke, I'm sorry, why didn't Luke through, uh, just sum it up and said, and he told them all that they said, and what happened, and they rejoiced. Why couldn't we just get like one verse that says, Peter recounted everything that happened, and then they all rejoiced. Well, God didn't want that. He's trying to get our attention. And so, in, when you're writing on parchment, as the, as the early Christian words, Real estate on your parchment is, is, is a high priority. You don't repeat something that doesn't need to be in there. You wouldn't repeat it if it wasn't that important, especially taking up this much real estate. And so um, I remember uh, this was sometimes God gives you things to remember and you don't realize it for like 10 years, 10 or 20 years. And sometimes the Lord just like tucks something away in your memory for you just like, like, 5, 10, 15 years later, and I don't know why this happens, 
and I don't know why I remember this, but uh, back in a, uh, about 10 years ago, I was part of a, a, a church that did like little small groups, house churches, and, and we were going through the book of Acts one week, chapter after chapter, and we got to like 16, 17, 18 maybe, and I remember my friend who was leading the group said, you know, just privately like, yeah, it's getting kind of hard to teach through Acts because it's just like the same thing, like, you know, this is the turning point where we're going to hear that, like, Paul goes here, he preaches, he gets persecuted, miracles happen. Paul goes here, he preaches, he gets persecuted, miracles happen. Paul goes here, he preaches. What's next? He gets persecuted, miracles happen. Okay, see, we're starting to get it. And I just remember him relating that to me as, like, him saying it was, like, it's kind of getting tedious and almost boring to just like hear the same thing week after week after we studied through the book of Acts and chapter after chapter. When do we get like something like new? And it, it, ought, it ought not to be so. We ought not to, that's more of an indication of where, where we're at if we start to think like, oh, why is like, like these ancient Christians must have been dumb or something because he's just, he just wrote the same thing and now he's writing the same thing again. And no, he's trying to get our attention. These repetitions are God's way of reminding us and giving red flags of this is important. And so uh, this was a big deal in covenant history. Besides Christ's incarnation, his ministry, his, his, uh, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, besides Christ coming in the flesh, and this was the biggest change in covenant history since Moses. This was the biggest deal, and that's why, uh, that's one of the reasons why it does take a, it goes again, and so it's, it's no, uh, it's safe for you guys, and it's no bother for us to get here and preach the same thing week after week, and so we see the same thing in Genesis 24, right, when uh, Abraham's servant goes and finds a bride for his son Isaac, he goes and you read about it and what happens, and then his servant comes back, and then you get like a whole nother chapter almost of the same thing, and he tells his servant what happened. And you're like, he wrote it down, apparently. Like, why, did he not get it? And why are we writing down the same thing that he told him, and we just read that it happened? Well, it's important. The Song of Moses is a good one. Deuteronomy 32. We just read through all of, of the Pentateuch, and all these things happen, and Moses is like, let's sing a song and just recap everything that happened. In case you forgot, here's everything that happened in song format, right? Uh, this is a great one my wife pointed out to me. Uh, Deuteronomy 9, verses 4 through 6. And I'll read it with emphasis of what should be emphasized. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me into this possession to possess this land, whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you are going in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you, that he may confirm the word to the Lord's word or your father's, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. Like, you, Lord, we get it. You said it three times, right? We know this as, as parents, 
as, as people, we know when we're repeating something, we want you to get it. Let it sink in. You didn't get it the first time, maybe you'll get it the second time. If you didn't get it the second time, maybe you'll get it the third time. Right? And even the Gospels are why in God's omniscience and his, his all-powerfulness and, and who he is, why does he give us three Gospels that are in some way basically the same? Same things happen. There are from different vantage points and perspectives you could look at, but why do we have, why did God give us three Gospels to go through to be reminded of the same thing? Right? If, if you're like me and and in my, I just have a bookmark in my yearly reading plan. I've got a bookmark in the Old Testament, a bookmark in the New Testament. I switch it up and I read one Psalm and Proverb a day, but it's super easy because you just need the bookmarks. And so when I start the New Testament over, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the Synoptic Gospels, and you get the same story three times. And so for a few weeks, you're just reading the same thing. And you're like, oh, I... I read this, and this reminds me. But in God's sovereignty, he gave us three Gospels. He didn't give us one. He gave us four Gospels, three of them that are roughly the same. Right? This is important stuff. He's, he's taking up this space, and he's giving us these words in, in multitude uh, to show how important these are. Now, it's not, all, it's not every time that uh, you know it's a big idea or you know it's a big theme because it takes up a lot of space. There's a lot of ideas that are, that are not talked about in Scripture very much because they are assumed and you couldn't get anything. Um, like the New Testament, you know, the Lord's Day opposed to the Sabbath, that's assumed. That's, if you don't read the Scriptures with that in mind, then you, you don't, it doesn't make any sense. But, and so oftentimes when we're quick to, to just move on to the next thing and, and get through it, that we forget that the Lord's causing us in this time to slow down. Oh, he's saying it again. He said it three times in a row. He took up two chapters. Let's pay a little closer attention to what he's saying. And so we often, in the name of, in our uh, uh, kind of post-industrial uh, revolution, just want to work and work and progress and keep going forward, where the Lord is at times saying, no, like you're going to get more progress when you slow down. And pay attention. And so when Peter says in verse 15 that the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning, he's saying in the, the, the day of Pentecost, we got the Holy Spirit, we spoke in tongues, we, uh, we extolled God, there was prophecies, it was a huge thing. And then these Gentiles got the exact same thing. They didn't get a lesser part of the covenant. They didn't get a lesser Holy Spirit. They didn't get, well, we got prophecy and speaking in tongues and we got power and miracles and, and they just got water baptism because you know they're dirty Gentiles just push them they can do the baptism thing but they didn't get what we got because we're the true Jews right and so that is in itself what Peter's saying is so amazing is that the Gentiles were welcomed in to God's family the same way the Jews had been for 4,000 years at that. And so the Gentiles were welcomed in as Jews. It's as, as Paul's saying in, in Romans chapter 2 and, and later in chapter 9, that these are true Jews. A true Jew is, is inward. A true Jew is one that has God's Holy Spirit. And then in the next verse, in verse 16 of Acts 11, Peter says, And I remember the word of the Lord, John baptized with water, 
but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It was at that point that Peter was now relating what, when he was with Cornelius, I was like, oh yeah, Jesus told us this was going to happen. It wasn't, he said, you're going to baptize with water, and I'm going to baptize, and Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit, and he said that, and I forgot. And the Holy Spirit had to remind me, right? And so, uh, remembrance is such a key part of the Christian life that we often don't even think about it. Uh, you could say that we often uh, forget to remember, right? And so, you know, what the Holy Spirit's doing here for Peter is there's, there's Jesus' teaching and the Holy Spirit is, is reminding him of what he had already already done. And so Jeremiah, so a, a few verses on just how prominent the idea of remembrance and putting things in your life to remember as a way of life. Uh, we'll start with Jeremiah 2.32, uh, just the, uh, the rebuke against Israel. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Or like when you're getting married and a bride's coming to get married, like the last thing she's going to forget is her dress. You know, she's not going to get there and be like, oh man, I'm getting married in 30 minutes, I forgot about the dress. Let's go out and get one real quick. Right? No, you spend months or years thinking about it. How long? I don't know how long. But he says, yet my people have forgotten me days without number. And so that's God's judgment against Israel, that they have forgotten him. And, and we'll look into a couple ways how. And so remembrance is one of God's means of grace. This is how God delivers grace to you. And he sets things up in your life so that you will remember. And then uh, we'll get into the logical conclusion of these is you either want that grace and you take steps forward to set those things up that God has instilled so that you will receive that grace or you reject it. And so scripturally, remembrance is just how you cultivate a grateful heart. Uh, it's, it's one way that God cultivates faith in you or cultivates your faith. And so, um, and it's, remembrance isn't always good. You could say that those are the antithesis that sometimes you can remember things and it, it doesn't do well for you. So just the act of remembrance doesn't do you any good in itself. But like if you have a dispute with someone or you're uh, a roommate or your wife or sibling or whoever are arguing and they have a, you have a real offense against them, you can either remember the relationship you have, the goodness that they've had in your life in the past, and choose to forgive them and remember how Christ has forgiven you and move forward and forgive them uh, maybe verbally and, and in your heart. Or you can choose, if you had a fight with your sibling, what they did to you when you were five, and grow bitterness. And you can get more bitter and more angry because... Uh, of what they've done in the past. You could remember that you forgave them three times already, and this is the fourth time, and, and, and I'm, I'm running out of fingers to, to count how many times I forgive them. Right? Or you could remember as Christ forgave you, and you can call that. And so Philippians 1.3, uh, Paul saying, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing to you is no trouble to me, and it is safe for you. So, what are we doing here every week? We're just calling things to remembrance, right? Why do we have the same basic message every week? Every church generally has, uh, they're preaching, you know, a gospel-centered message 
There's the basic general message every week. Why do we need that every week? Why do we come here every week to hear the same thing in a different part of the Bible from somebody else or from the same people every week, right? Why do we come and why do we eat? Why do we uh, do communion every week? Why do we do this every week? Why do we need this, right? It's because we're forgetful people. We're sometimes willingly forgetful, and we're sometimes, it's just we literally forget. So Exodus 20, verse 8, one of the commandments, literally says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Don't forget. Remember it, right? This should be a, con- a continual thing that you think about or, or set things in your life that you're going to remember. Don't get so far in your week that you forget the Sabbath day. That's why it's, it's a good thing to put in, if you're not an organized person, put in your calendar, put something in your life around Saturday, around 9 p.m. or 11 or 8, whatever, that puts in your mind, like, oh yeah, George is tomorrow. I might want to set up my clothes. I might want to see if I've got any duties. Get ready, right? Uh, Deuteronomy, you guys know what the Shema is? This was a daily uh, prayer that the Jews read or that the Jews recited out of Deuteronomy 4, 6 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command to you today shall be on your heart. Okay, he's saying they have to be in you. I'm commanding you. This is a command to remember, right? You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up, right? This is, this is going to control our lifestyle. We're going to talk about it. We're going to discuss it. We're going to constantly be reminded. It's going to flow out of who we are. You shall bind them as signs on your hand. You, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And God's saying... I don't even expect you guys to just remember out of the goodness of your heart and it just flows up and you're constantly doing it. Set things in your life. Write them as frontless. Put it on your doorpost. Every time you go through your door, you're going to be reminded these are the the laws of the Lord. This is what your life should be about. He's saying, I don't actually expect you just just to remember and tell you once. I want you to set up things in your life so that you'll be reminded. Set up, Tie it on your wrist. The the used to be... Flacularies, or however you pronounce it, of of just scripture verses that they would tie, especially the the uh, those that work in the temple and the Pharisee party and different. They would tie these on them so that they wouldn't forget. How do you think they got so knowledgeable of the law? How do you think they got to where they were? Right now, they the Pharisees obviously took it uh, legalistically, but there were constant reminders. This is what the Lord does. He's saying, set your life up and set things in your life so that you will be reminded of these things day after day. That's why we have the church calendar. That's why God instituted the, the three Sabbath festivals and then there were six Sabbath festivals. And then your whole life was a reminder of what God had done. Your whole life was ordered around God's character, around the gospel, and he instituted things that you had to set in your life. Because if you don't, you're just going to forget and so, you know, when you're, when you're disciplining or discipling somebody, when you're discipling your children, it's really easy to tell who's going to grow and who's not. It really is. Um, you can, you know, your children know this have to be a little bit later, but if you come to, or like a counseling meeting, you really know who's going to grow if they like bring something to write with. Like, 
What are they going to say? I'm just going to take notes, right? Those are, you could already tell. They're like, oh, these people are taking notes. They, they want to hear something and they want to grow. And uh, it's, I usually take the route of like after like three or four weeks or four meetings and then we start saying the same thing. It's like, did you do this? Oh, no, I forgot. Okay, that's fine. We'll talk about it next week. Talk about it next week. Did you guys, did you do this? No, I forgot. I didn't do it. Okay, did you, did you set any reminders? Did you? No. Okay. So the next week's come and did you do it? No, I just feel really bad because I got really busy. And Okay, here's what you do. Write it down. That's what God said. Write it down. Write it on your doorpost. Write it on a string. Put it on your wrist. Write it down. You just write it down. And then you'll be reminded. God's like, hey, there you go. That's an easy way, right, to be uh, reminded. God doesn't expect us to just remember everything he's saying. He doesn't expect us to just remember out of our own hearts and our own minds everything, right? Or else we'd just read the Bible once and we'd close it and be like, that was a good read. Got it now. Pretty good. Right? No. We, that's why we, uh, especially in discipleship, hone on getting people started to read the scriptures and read it daily. Read it year after year. And then after about five years, you'll get a good picture of what the Lord's trying to say. And then, you know, after about maybe five, 10, 15 times through the Bible, you've got a good picture, you've got a good grasp of the whole of scripture, and then you're just reading back to be like, oh yeah, I forgot about this. I, I, I forgot that, uh, you know, Isaac just like, all he did was like dig wells and stuff. I forgot about that. Yeah, I, I forgot about, uh, I forgot that Israel meant, you know, he wrestles with the Lord. I forgot that, you know, as you read, you're like, you're reminded of all these things that you knew previously from reading and you're just reminded of, of the grace of God and, and things. And obviously those new insights that come from Scripture. And so we, we, know, we know that we have to put reminders, we have to put things in our life to remind us, right? We know that I forgot isn't always a valid excuse, and most of the time it's not, right? There is, um, you know, if... You know, when my anniversary, second anniversary comes up and Noel said, what are we doing? And I said, I don't know, I forgot. Oh, and she's like, oh, you forgot. That's, <laughs> you should have told me earlier that you were going to forget. And I would have planned for that. <laughs> oh, right. That's not, we know that that's not a valid excuse. We know that that's not a legitimate. We sometimes brush that off to the side and say, oh, I forgot. Well, why did you forget? Was it not important? No, no, it was important. Well, did you set anything in your life so that you wouldn't forget? No, no. Okay, so it wasn't that important. So our anniversary wasn't that important to you that you would like put it in your calendar a month in advance and, and plan something. Uh, I guess you'd have to say, no, it's not that important, right? You don't want to be in that position. But we, we constantly do that. We as people constantly do that and say, yeah, like we think that we're going to just read something, we're going to get discipled or whatever, uh, we're going to come on Sunday mornings, and we're just going to remember, and we're just going to, uh, and that'll carry us for like through Monday, Tuesday, maybe maybe to Wednesday, usually not, if you're like me, and then uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday is a, a free-for-all, and then Sunday we'll be reminded again, and we'll do that cycle. No, come on Sunday mornings ready to take notes. We have great teachers who are, are uh, doing this for, for us, for our, for our people. Come ready to take notes. That's how you know who's going to grow. Honestly, and you, with 
you know, we've instilled things in, in our family where with kids, you just have to teach them not to forget. And we do this in discipling, too. If you just teach people how not to forget. And so we have a whiteboard in our house with uh, the morning routine for, for Lily. As she like, it's like three things. Don't forget. Uh, pack your lunch. Uh, get your school bag. Brush your hair. Brush your teeth. Like four things. It's like, hey, I thought after I would have told her like four times, four or five times, she would have gotten it. Well, guess what? That's not how it works, right? We have that as a constant reminder. If you do forget, it's right here. Right? We're not going to be late for school. We're not going to be that family that's late for school <laughs> because everything's written out here. And most of the time, we're not late. Um, and so that's what God has instilled this as grace, and he puts it in his scriptures all the time to call things to remembrance. Right? Ephesians 2, 11 through 12 is one of my favorites. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. And so uh, recently in, in the Grace Discipleship Group, we were going through Dallas Willard's The Great Omission, and he brings up the point of like nobody actually grows apart from spiritual disciplines. And so as you're discipling people, or as you're getting discipled, really 90% of it is just, hey, have you read your Bible? Have you prayed? Do you have regular disciplines to, uh, to receive the grace of God to move forward? And one of those is solitude, is just getting alone with you and the Lord and not being busy, essentially. And one of those things I'd encourage in, in times of solitude is the, what Paul's saying is like you should go back and think about where you were before Christ. Where would you have been? What did he do for you? And if you can't have times of, like you're never going to really grow if you're not constantly reminded about who you were outside of Christ, having no hope and without God in the world, and what he's done for you particularly, then how do you expect to grow? How do you expect to receive more grace? How do you, what do you think it's by? You think you're just going to read your Bible uh, and get God's favor? You'll probably understand it more and get grace, but to think about where you were outside of Christ, who you were, what your character was like, and where he's brought you to is grace in itself. That's a grace that Paul's commanding to remember to do that. And so Proverbs 3.1, uh, the, the, the preacher uh, Solomon is saying, my son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. And so, you, fathers, mothers, you can tell your children, do not forget. That is a command you can make to them, right? Proverbs 4, 1 through 6. Probably just do 1 through 5. Hear, uh, hear, O sons, a father's instruction, and be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts, and do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, first things he said, right? Father to son, now he's teaching his son. Let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. And that's what God was saying in Jeremiah is you're forgetting is turning away. When you don't set up a regular pattern of life to remember the Lord, to remember his covenants, to remember his commandments, 
you are choosing to forget. You are willfully forgetting. All right? James has the, the same sentiment in, in James 1, 22 through 25. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer of the word who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in all his doing. So even James has the connection of hearing and doing versus hearing and forgetting. Right? He makes that connection. And so that's why we, we come every Sunday to preach essentially the same gospel, to be reminded of the same things, is because we need it. And we should be establishing patterns in our life that remind us of that, right? We have uh, the church calendar, right? Every, why does every November or early, yes, I'm sorry, yes, early November, why do we start the new year and be reminded of Christ's <laughs> incarnation of his advent for like three or four weeks until, until Christmas, why? Well, because we'll forget. If we don't make that a regular pattern of our lives, we would probably go years or maybe decades without uh, even preaching on it. If we didn't have the church calendar established, if we didn't have early Christians who, who took the uh, model of the synagogues and, and the Jewish customs to be implemented into the new covenant, we would just be, we would just be lost. We would just be teaching on whatever we feel like we need to be teaching on. Right, And so one thing those patterns establish in our life, um, patterns of remembrance, is normally when you're in any, any station in life, you're going to have problems come at you. You're going to be thrown uh, good problems, bad problems, and, and, um, and it's just life's not perfect, right? Things happen, and you're going to have to always deal with problems. When we don't have regular patterns in our life, then all we're doing is handling problems. And we're going to be tossed back and forth like a way, like a ship in a, in a turbulent ocean. That's what Paul's getting at in, in Ephesians. I think Ephesians chapter 4 is to come to maturity in Christ is to establish patterns and just say, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to do it. I don't know if I feel like it. I probably won't feel like it, but I'm just going to do it. Right? We do that uh, on Sunday. I don't know if everyone's like, hey, I'm going to get up. Or, has anybody thought that maybe we should start church later? <laughs> like at noon? I'd be like really awake. I can get a lot of stuff done, then come to church, right? No, we have it in the morning, as, and this is a reg, established a regular pattern in our life to, to, to lead us into maturity. And the Lord establishes those all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture, our life is just building patterns of remembrance, to have grateful hearts towards the Lord and build our faith, right? And so, so we should be uh, doing that in our discipleship groups. We should be doing that in, in with our disciples. We should be doing that in our families, right? There's as much easier once you establish a pattern of like family worship of every night we're going to eat and we're going to read and we're going to worship or something. And then, you know, uh, Whatever, it's a lot easier to do that as just a regular pattern with some flexibility than to just say, we'll have family worship and, uh, and we'll worship when we think about it. Well, we tried that and it doesn't work and you do it like once every two weeks. And so, 
That's what the Christian life is about. That's one of the witnesses we have is that people view our lives as just disciplined, orderly in the sense of these people really are going out of their way to set things in their life to honor God, right? Um, I got a lot of other things I could do on Sundays, but the commandment says remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. A lot of other things I think I can do, right? But that is the pattern of Scripture is to set these things up to remind us, right? Uh, Scripture reading, prayer, uh, fasting, solitude, all these things, all these normal Christian disciplines. And so as we come to the table, if you didn't think uh, Luke 2 and 1 Corinthians 11, then, then you'll be reminded. Uh, our Lord says that he took bread and when he gave thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, reminds them of the exact same words. For I received from you, from the Lord, what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and we have given thanks, he broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup <clears throat> after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so the Lord is commanding us in the elements to be reminded of him, to remember the sacrifice, to remember who he was, to remember his mission. Right? And Paul goes even further to clarify and say to remember that as often as you, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Right? In the in the elements, we are proclaiming that Christ was died, we died with him, and he rose, and we will also rise with him. And Paul reiterates that in Romans 6, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So we don't come to be reminded as, as Christ died as a constant reminder of how sinful we are. We're coming to be reminded that Christ died, but he didn't stay there that he rose and that we are going to rise and be resurrected and we walk in the resurrection. We don't necessarily walk in the death of Christ. We do as in we are dead to ourselves, we are dead to sin, but we walk in the newness of life. And that's what the Lord invites us to in the supper. So come and let's dine with Christ.